Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to start a series this morning called One Another. One Another. We kind of finished last week talking about the fact that uh, the people put the Lord first and then they were able to give themselves to one another or each other. So I'm starting a series then this morning called One Another. Basically taking the, the scriptures in the New Testament that have that concept of one another or each other. And I'm dividing them up by my own choosing how I believe they've been categorized. And so we're going to talk about those that fall under the heading of acknowledging one another, loving one another, serving one another, pacifying or to be at peace with one another, and then lastly, exhorting uh, one another. And so, and I did that with purpose because if you work it backwards, in my opinion, this is the way my mind works, you have difficult, you have a difficulty exhorting one another if you're not at peace with each other. And you'll have problems being at peace with each other if you're not serving one another. And you'll have problems serving one another if you don't love one another. And you're for sure not going to love somebody you won't even acknowledge. And so just uh, with, that, with that mindset here this morning. So this morning my, my objective is this, is kind of to introduce this one another concept. And uh, we'll try to get to acknowledge today the, the, those that fall under the heading of acknowledging one another. We need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. If you don't have a neighbor, find one and tell them you need them. Amen. Some of you out there just kind of isolated and alone. Amen. We need one another. We really do. I, I know sometimes that can become cliche, but we really do. We really do I need one another. Um, thank you. I need you too. Um, Bishop has oftentimes say the only thing you'll be able to take to heaven is people with you. So we, we need each other. Romans 12, verse number 4, just as a kind of a setting for this idea of each other or one anotherness. I'll say that quite often, and I made it up, I guess, but one anotherness. <laughs> the Bible says in verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Man, when I read that last phrase, that is really, I mean, they're tucked in that. There's just, it's profound within itself to think that every one members one of another. We are so intricately intertwined that we're actually, in the body of Christ, a part of each other. Which is just amazing to me. I'm going to pray today. The Lord will help us for the next few moments. Father, I love you this morning. Holy Ghost, I pray, God, have your perfect work, Lord Jesus, in this way, in this service, Lord, this morning. God, anoint my mind and anoint my lips. God, not just the speaker, but anoint the hearers also, Lord Jesus, in this place today. 
Lord, I pray, God, you have purpose and you have intent, God, beyond what I'm even capable of understanding or realizing. But God, I just lean upon you, Lord Jesus, today. God, help us, Lord, to learn from your scriptures. Lord, to learn, God, it's, 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 uh, how it's applicable, God, for us even today in our lives. We'll praise you for it, Lord Jesus. In your holy name I pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. was the man by John Dunn who actually penned the words that we oftentimes quote, and that is, no man is an island entire of itself, but every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. I alluded to last week, and yet it's true, even surveys have been done, it, done on it, that national surveys reveal that less than half of the American populace knows most of their neighbors' names. American neighborhoods have become collections of disconnected people. It's kind of a contrast of terms. We're a neighborhood, but we're disconnected. It's almost like, you know, calling, uh, you know, something that's apartments, but they're all together. <laughs> And so with that being said, for that matter, America, in my opinion, is one of the most connected, electronically that is, one of the most connected, disconnected societies. One of the most connected, disconnected societies. Take, for instance, let's consider for a moment. We have, some of y'all still do, you still have some landlines, real telephone in your house that you pick up. We, we, we have landlines, we have, we have cell phones. Uh, now we, people have these little techie watches, Apple watches, Google watches, whatever type of watch. Uh, the techie watches, we have tablets of every sort and every brand. Uh, we have the ability to uh, meet or, or video with someone and with video and audio by, by Skype and, and apps like Zoom, things that are video conferencing abilities where you don't have to meet together at a location, but you can meet by electronically with your face and, and audio and I've been a part of some of those I know other people in this room have we have the ability to text message uh, instant message direct message private message <laughs> all these different things that we have the ability all because we have all these different social media platforms and I don't even have a sheet of paper long enough you know, to go through all the plethora of those. I mean, we're, we're familiar maybe with Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and some of those, but the list is quite, quite massive. So we have all these different platforms. We still have, we still have snail mail, all right? We have air mail. We have email. We have all these different means. And one would think, you know, if you were considering all this, one would think that we would be the most relational people in the world with very strong personal connections among one another, yet in this generation, they feel more isolated and disconnected from each other than ever before. But as John Dunn said, no man is an island entire of itself. And not only is that statement true figuratively for our lives, but that statement is also very true in a spiritual sense for our lives. As the scripture said, so we being many are every one members, one of another. 
That phrase, one of another, in our scripture setting is in many instances uh, throughout the New Testament scripture, many times instead of one of another, it's expressed as one another. It is typically two words in our English language, one and the word another, but it's only one word in the New Testament Greek. It is the word all alone. And all alone, and then just, just, just walk with me, all alone is a reciprocal plural pronoun, meaning it is a pronoun that refers back to a plural subject and expresses an action done in two or more directions. In other words, this isn't just one individual doing the action, but these are two or more individuals doing the action that is within the sentence. It carries the idea of one another or each other reciprocally and mutually. In other words, whenever Jesus spoke to his disciples and said in John 13, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, he said, that ye love one another. What he was expressing through that, using that reciprocal pearl pronoun was this. He wanted each of those disciples to love the other disciple mutually. He wanted Peter to reciprocate the love Peter had received from John. In order for that to happen, though, Peter would have to give the same equivalent proportional love to John that he had received from John. Amen. It's kind of a, a balancing of the scale, if you will. The action, the action of, of, in this case, love, the action of loving, it had to match in both its receiving and in its giving. Amen. And as we'll look at perhaps later when we get to the love one another aspects, amen, Jesus actually even set the benchmark for this love for his disciples because he says, I want you to show that to one another equally, equivalently, mutually as I have loved you. Boom. That standard just blew out the roof. That just blew out the roof. Because it's one thing for you to love me to a certain degree and me to reciprocate that back to you in the same degree. But whenever then Jesus steps in and says, as I've loved you is the way that I want you to love them, that changes everything. It's like I got to reach for another rung on the ladder now uh, because he has set the standard and it's to be a mutual across the board between one another. Amen. In the world of mathematics, this idea of reciprocal is there. We're going to school just for a little bit. It ain't going to hurt, okay? But in mathematics, a reciprocal is described as this. This is the, 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 the dictionary definition, and so it's not going to amuse anybody, all right? The ratio, but I like how it says it. The ratio of unity to a given quantity or expression that by which the given quantity or expression is multiplied to produce unity. For instance, if you can put my mathematical equation up here, one half, two over one is the reciprocal of one half. And the definition says when you take the product or you multiply those two together, you get one or unity, oneness, oneness. He says you get oneness. In other words, the reciprocal of any number, when it's multiplied, will produce, as the definition expresses it, unity or one. I'd like to say this morning, we can take that same formula 
apply it to biblical one another scriptures and say that when any of these instructions, whether it's commanding us to love, bear one another's burdens, be kindly affectionate to one another, acknowledge one another, greet one we can take any of those, and when we reciprocate that, the product of that is something that happens that's called oneness and unity that happens then among the body of believers. Because phrases like, love one another or bear one another's burdens or forgive one another, they all contain that Greek word all alone. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament scripture, that word that as we know to English being two words, one another, it's used 100 times in the New Testament, in 94 verses in the New Testament. Interestingly enough, 47 of those verses give instructions to us, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are instructional for us. How to live our lives, but more importantly, how to live our lives toward each other. Amen. How to live our lives toward each other. And so with that being said, they're very relevant even for the church today. They're relevant even cutting closer for the first apostolic church Located at 1121 Cedar Street today. Amen. Because, folks, we, we were, we were, we understand, I hope we know this, but we were created by God. Does everybody agree with that? We were created by God. And early on, God took a pulse of our need for social interaction. He did. God took the pulse for our need for fellowship. Amen. Because humans were created to function in a one anotherness, both with God and with each other. Adam, we read in the first book of the Bible, he had fellowship with God. He had fellowship with God. That's evident from the fact that God had interaction with him by placing him in the garden that God made for him. Not only that, we see God having conversation with Adam telling Adam about what tree was not acceptable to eat. So he had some type of interaction or fellowship with God. Even so much so, we even see that after Eve came into the picture, the Bible tells us that they heard the voice of God coming down and walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So in some fashion, God had social interaction or fellowship with the first couple. However, however, in Genesis 1, seven times, I believe it is, in the story of creation, God looked at what he created, and the Bible says he saw it was good. It usually follows the pattern of the first day of creation. He looks at it, he saw that it was good. The evening, the morning was the first day, and so on and so forth. So seven times he did this. He looked at what he created and saw that it was good. But what follows then in Genesis 2, what follows in Genesis 2 contrasts that idea of looking at creation and seeing that it was good. Because in Genesis 2, God is looking at a sinless man, a perfect man. And he's looking at this man being in the garden that God had created for the man. And man at this stage of his life has access to the creator of the universe. He has fellowship 
with the creator. He has social interaction with the creator of the universe. Yet, in spite of that, God says, it's not good that man should be alone. Folks, let me tell you, there is a pretty high watermark being set here that God would take a perfect man, place him in a perfect paradise, and have relationship with him, and still objectively step back and say, this isn't quite right yet. This man needs some type of human. This man needs some type of other human interaction. He needs a one-anotherness with someone of his own kind. That's mind-blowing to me. Because here's man in his solitude. This was the first and the only thing in all creation that God has spoken about and took sight of and says, you know what, this is not good. He says, sinless man, sinless man even with limitless, limitless fellowship with God. He says, you know what, I need to do something about this. Amen. Amen. And so apparently God understood the idea that man needed fellowship. He needed that one anotherness with another human being, another humankind. And so God, man, you know, he doesn't do anything half-heartedly. God made man a woman, a wife, whereby man could experience this one anotherness even on the most deepest level. On the most deepest level. Amen. So not, not only do we see a need for this here, but... We also, in the book of Genesis, see a disregard for this one anotherness in the first family as well. It would be very shortly in chapter 4 that after Cain, Cain had killed his brother Abel, that God would approach him. And what does God ask? Where is Abel, thy brother? Again, God, sometimes, God asks questions not because he needs to know. Many times that God asking you a question, it's not that God needs to know. God already knows. He wants you to know. <laughs> he wants you to know. And so he's saying, where is Abel thy brother? God didn't need to know. But what he wanted Cain to do is he wanted Cain to be aware of abandoning this one anotherness with his brother Abel. Cain responded. Here's flippant Cain. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Huh? Am I my brother's keeper? And so here we have it, folks. I mean, as early as Genesis, as early as the first book in the Bible, that humanity is undervaluing the mutual, reciprocating life that we should serve to one another. And let me tell you, if they're going to get it wrong in Genesis, we go get it wrong today. Because the first family, man, it all comes from there. They sinned, we sinned. They need saved, we need saved. They got this wrong about having a mutual reciprocating relationship between each other. We're going to get it wrong as, as well. And Cain got it so much wrong that he did a deed to his brother that his brother would impossible, it'd be impossible for his brother to reciprocate. And that was taking his brother's life. Even Jesus, it's not illustrated enough in the first family, even Jesus... In his life, he underscored the value of this one anotherness. He called 12 men to follow him. Out of that 12, he even pulled in a little closer. Three, amen, a little bit closer. These people ate with him. They, they shared his experiences. He separated those three to have a closer relationship with him. And the Bible tells us that Jesus 
on one of his most scariest nights, scariest nights, the night that he was betrayed and arrested, that he invited those closest three, all but particularly those closest three, he invited them into his struggle. He told there, Peter and James and John, he said, guys, watch with me and pray with me. He asked them to do that. And I'm telling you this tonight, this morning rather, that if Jesus requested and invited that kind of support into his own life, in his earthly ministry, how much more do we need each other in our struggles? In our daily lives. In addition to the 12, the Bible says at one time he also gathered together in uh, uh, 70 disciples. 70 disciples. He's going to send out 70 disciples into cities and towns and places that Jesus himself would eventually come. And the Bible says in Luke 10 that whenever he sent them forth, he sent them forth not by ones, right? He sent them forth by twos. He did not send them alone, but he sent them in pairs with purpose, to my understanding, with purpose. Amen. And so he's sending them forth because he knows they're going to need each other. They need that one anotherness, amen, as they go forward from city, from place to town. If you'll turn to Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, I think this illustrates the concept of the one anotherness, the value, the importance of one anotherness. If you were to read in Ecclesiastes 4, it comes to a place that Ecclesiastes prior to this is talking about someone that is alone. It talks about the verse prior to this, someone that is alone, someone that is by themselves. They do not have a second. The Bible says that they did not even have a child or a brother. And in contrast to that, he says, here's a person all alone. They're going to die, all this stuff. They don't have a second. There's not even a child or a brother. And then it goes on then to verse 9 and tells us two are better than one to contrast that because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord, amen, that we all times relate to the fact that third fold, amen, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven himself. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Someone say, I need you. I need you. According to research by social psychologist Dr. David McClelland of Harvard, he says, the people with whom you habitually associate are called your reference group. And these people determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. The Bible didn't say that. I didn't say that. But somebody high in their profession of social psychology said, the people that you have this one anotherness with, is going to either raise or lower your success or failure of life. And so that's the reason why Scripture even implores us about who we make our reference group. Amen. Who we make our reference group. Because they're going to have as much as 95% influence. 95% influence in your life. And so we need this one another environment. We need it. You say, I don't need it. 
Listen, let, let's just be real practical for a moment. Do you not think that whenever they place a person in solitary confinement, they do that because that must normally be seen as punishment? Huh? Right? No one else around? And so if that is normally viewed as punishment, surely the coupling together and grouping together of people would be more so rewarding, beneficial. Huh? We need this one anotherness environment. We need that ebb and that flow that each of us can contribute to the other's life. Amen. Whenever Jesus shared what he considered as the two greatest commandments. Remember the lawyer comes to him and he says, oh Lord, tell us which is the greatest you know, commandment among the law. And Jesus spoke to him and said, well, you love the Lord your God. He said, and the second is likened to it, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Whenever he shared what was the two greatest commandments, they involved then two spheres of life. The action was the same love. The concept was the same as love. But it was along two spheres of life. One was our God sphere, but the other was our one another sphere. Are one another sphere. Amen. And so whenever I took these scriptures and I compiled them and I sorted them and put these between different headings, the first heading that I wish to uh, come to today and look at this morning is the acknowledge heading. The acknowledge heading. To acknowledge one another. The word acknowledge means to notice someone or to recognize. I'm going to go through all the scriptures that are in this. I won't do this every Sunday. This one only has five, so we can get by with it. Uh, whenever we get to the loved one, we, we would spend a lot of time just going through the scriptures. Amen. But here, in, in Romans 16, 6, the scripture states this. So, and no one get nervous, okay? <laughs> You'll see why. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. See, somebody's about ready to go to the bathroom right now. Amen. First Corinthians 6. 1620, all the brethren greet you. Greet ye one another with an holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with an holy kiss. It's quite redundant. 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Greet all the brethren, Paul tells the Thessalonians. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Amen. 1 Peter 5, 14. He says, greet ye one another with a you get the picture. Kiss of charity. Peace be unto you all. People's putting on lip balm and, and chapstick out here. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> peace be, peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm going to say amen. So we get the idea of this phrase, this greet or this salute one another with a holy kiss. Uh, both Paul wrote concerning this and Peter also wrote concerning this it it is used in five different letters in the New Testament uh, that was spoken to differing congregations and for that matter in different countries this 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 command of greeting or saluting one another with a holy kiss was giving now here this here where everybody's gonna be able to take a breath after this I want you to know that in that command greet one another with a holy kiss, the emphasis is more on the greet and the salute rather than the kiss. All right? In other words, the emphasis is more because the greet and the salute is indicating this, what our subject matter is about, the acknowledgement. 
The emphasis is more on the acknowledgement, more than the kiss. Now, not to leave the kiss on the see, see, we we got a different mind frame because we kiss in today's societies have just been totally set to the mode and the scale of sensuality. All right, I, I mean, a, a a a kid almost can't kiss their parent anymore. So I mean, if we've been taking something that that's been a mode of friendship and a mode of just popular greeting in some of the, the eastern part of the world and so on and so forth and just totally, just totally sensualized it and made it perverted and everything. That's not the case here in the first century culture. Kissing, kissing was very common. Kissing was a standard greeting in the first century among these type of people, particularly the Jews and the Romans. Both of them were not, were not foreign to or unfamiliar with practicing kissing whenever they would greet one another. Sometimes they would kiss each other on each cheek. Sometimes they'd kiss one on the forehead. Uh, Jews, many of them, uh, bearded men, kissed their beard or they would kiss each other's hand or something of like that. It was a greeting of, of some, some acknowledgement of some kind. It was very similar to what we have that's popular today, our handshake. You know, we, we come to one another, we shake hands. I don't know if anybody, if, you, if it's a relative, you might kiss them. I don't know if it's a stranger, some of you might kiss them. I don't know, yeah, that's your business. I'm staying out of it. But nevertheless, the greeting of a handshake or maybe with some of the Orientals or, or the Asians, it might be the bow. Very, what, what that takes place is two people meeting each other. You're acknowledging. You're acknowledging one another. As a matter of fact, just as a side note, years ago we had someone in the church that took these scripture literally. We did. In this church. They're not in this church anymore. And not because of that. <laughs> but, but, they, but they did. And so please understand the application of the scripture today. Amen. Both Paul... And Peter, both Paul and Peter, used this instruction as a common way to lend in several, several of their letters. But again, our concentration for this morning, I, I want to just focus on the occurrence in the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 16. Because in Romans 16, if you were to read the whole chapter of Romans 16, Paul has varied in many greetings that he's given through letter form. As a matter of fact, it almost is like, man, Paul just grabbed the church membership role and he's just saying, you know, salute so-and-so and greet such-and-such. And he goes on, you know, and that one because they did this and this one because of that. And it, you just is going through a list of names, it would seem. And so throughout this, Paul was constantly underscoring the idea of greet or salute, acknowledge, 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 acknowledge. As a matter of fact, and he's saying this greet or he's saying this, this salute, and again, not trying to make anybody afraid, but, but the, the, the root word translated greet in, our, greet in our English Bibles or salute in our English Bibles means to draw oneself close, to draw oneself close like an embrace or a hug. Now, I know now, I've stalked can get huggy. They can. They can get huggy. I, I advise that men hug men and women hug women. That's got out of hand before too. Amen. But so he's talking about this greeting. He's talking about this embracing. And he doesn't give no notion to this, this kiss aspect until the very end. The very end. Because that was the common way they acknowledged each other. To say it like this, whenever Paul or Peter was writing to these different churches, since kissing aspect, being a greeting or acknowledgement, was already a part of their culture, then Paul and Peter both were already, and this might sound weird, but Paul and Peter were already writing to people that were kissing. Okay? 
you were already writing to people that did this. But direction was given to them on how to do this, how to kiss. And that was that it was to be holy. In other words, they were to acknowledge one another respectfully. Mm -hmm. Respectfully. Not only that, but when we see that this both as an embrace, a hug, or a kiss, it seemed to, to denote an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement. And here's, this is important. Whenever you talk about a kiss, a hug, or anything like that, this whole concept of acknowledgement, in order to do that, that requires a person to be physically there. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Physically there. You acknowledge somebody in the letter. You acknowledge somebody on Facebook. You know, so on and so forth. But the greetings, this command is so much so that it required the person to be there. See, this kind of gets back to the idea of us wanting to be the body and not ever come together as the body. See, this comes back to the thing I was talking about last week, you know, wanting to be the church, but we can be spiritual, send our tithes to the mail, and do all this stuff at distance. But the command is situated in such a way, whether it be an embrace or, or, or the kiss, the way that it's denoted in Scripture, that a person had to be actually there in order to fulfill the command. You had to be there. You had to be there in order to really acknowledge the person. Amen. And so these, these names that, that, that precede, precede verse number 16, that they, they tell us, they tell us something too. They tell us something that this acknowledgement that Paul is speaking about and that even Peter is speaking about could only truly take place in the context of the church. And the reason why I say that is this, because if you read through these lists of names prior to verse 16, some of those names are Jewish names. And some of those names are Gentile names. And outside of the scope of the church, you would have never had a Jew acknowledging a Gentile. Outside of the scope of the church, that would not happen. And so him speaking this makes me understand that this could only take place within the context and the setting of the church. Because normally Jew and Gentile, they didn't give each other the time of day. They're not going to acknowledge one another. But because Jew has been baptized by the same spirit into the same body. And Gentiles been baptized by the same spirit into the same body. Within the context then of the body, they acknowledge, that's my brother. That's my sister. They're saved like I'm saved. I need them. They need me. We cannot function in this thing without each other. Amen. Amen. Not only that, if you read through those names, there are names listed there that are common, and even some were, common slave names. And there are others listed in this group, such as Narcissus, which is a rich individual. Only, folks. Not only, but by and large more and more, but definitely in that day. Only in the context of the church would you have a rich man acknowledging a slave or a poor man. Personally, interactively, whatever. Whether it was a kiss on the head, embrace, a touch on the shoulder, a shake of the hand, whatever. Only in the context of the church 
Would you have that type of acknowledgement taking place one between another? Furthermore, I think there are, I think there's nine. I, I tried to count. Sometimes it's iffy. But about nine of the 26 or so names listed in, in, in chapter 16 are women. And I am not a male chauvinist pig, but some of them back then were. <laughs> women were property. That's the reason why it was great for a man child to be born. Because it was an actual person. Women was property you could trade with. Women were property. And for there to be an acknowledgement given to a lady, it happened within the context of the church. You know what we're dealing with? We need to acknowledge one another. And it should happen in the context of the church and the body of Christ more than anywhere else. And you know what? There are people outside of the context of the body. You know what they're looking for? Somebody to recognize them. Somebody to underscore their worth. Somebody to, I, that's the reason why they do some of these, you know, things to their bodies and things, all kinds of different things because they're wanting recognition and they're not finding it outside the context of the church. So if there is going to, if there should be any type of contrast between the world and the church, let it be in the church that there's a one anotherness when it comes to acknowledgement. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. doesn't matter if you're Asian or if you're Caucasian. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter concerning all that. But in the context of the church, we acknowledge, we greet, we salute one another with some type of way that we physically got to be there for each other in order to get it done. That's how Paul, I believe, then comes in Galatians. Galatians 3.28, what did he say? He said, neither is there Jew nor Greek. Neither is there bond or free. Neither is there male or female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. What? The body. Members. Members of one another. Members of one another. Now furthermore, look at this. Jewish culture, look at this. Many of the Jews, when they became believers, that the Jesus Christ that walked on the earth, they claimed to be the Messiah, and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. When they did that, they immediately became outcasts to their own families. Remember they got baptized in Jesus' name? They were cut off. Literally, I'm telling you, historical record, literally, funerals were given for a living Jew that converted to Christianity. Some of this even still takes place today. Funerals were being given because to their Jewish family, that individual was dead. Their families disowned them. So their family now is the family of God, the body of Christ. See, on one side where they come to the Lord and now they're not acknowledged by their family, they enter now into another family where they get acknowledgement. Any recognition they've lost from their natural family, they now got personal recognition from their church family. Folks, I'm telling you, we need to acknowledge one another. We need to acknowledge one another. You do, not, you do not even know, folks, and we might claim to know, but we don't even know some of the people that come to church, have their life changed by God, or just even at the point of coming to this church, 
what type of headache and heartache they get on the opposite side of these walls and doors from family and co-workers and this and that because now they start going to church or now they're at the apostolic church or now this and that. And let me tell you something. They need acknowledgement in this house. They need, yes, yes, in this body of believers, the body of Christ, they need acknowledgement in a respectful, real, tangible way. Even, even the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon alludes to an understanding of this one another mutual reciprocated action. When she says, in Song of Solomon 8 and 1, she says, when I should find thee, speaking of her beloved, when I should find thee without she says, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. She had to understand. She says, whenever I find you, I should kiss you. What? I'm going to agree. I'm going to acknowledge you. She says, yea, I will not or I should not be despised. She understood that if I acknowledge you, there's a one anotherness there. Something happens that's going to be mutual. Something happens that's going to be reciprocated. That if I acknowledge you, I for sure am not going to be despised because I have acknowledged. I, I have acknowledged you. What? We even, we don't, that's on, a, that's on a horizontal plane. We've seen it on a vertical plane. Did not God say, he said, if you're ashamed of, huh? I'll be a mutual and reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Mutual and reciprocated. And so we get that right on the vertical plane. We need to get it right on the horizontal plane. She said, I know I won't be despised. Why? Because I have greeted you. I've kissed you. I've acknowledged you. I've, I've tangibly gave some type of recognition to you. And so Jesus, Jesus, back in the New Testament, we know we're going back and forth this morning. Jesus makes even special mention of the kisses or the salutation and the greetings of the woman. The woman that entered to Simon the leper's house, that anointed him, washed, remember, his feet. She came in and she, she kissed him. He makes special recognition to Simon concerning the kisses that he gave, she gave rather, to Jesus. Because Simon did not do that. Simon, in other words, did not greet or salute or acknowledge the Lord in that way. And so Jesus, Jesus he makes special mention of her kisses, makes special mention of her acknowledgement, insomuch so in Luke 7, 47, he says this unto her. He says, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Look now at the phrase, for she loved much. She loved much. Jesus is already making a connection for me for my lessons. He's already making a connection for me for my lessons. He says, because of her acknowledgement, he said, that leads into the fact that I know she must love me because a person will not love someone they don't acknowledge. Mm. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. And so, listen, though, it's not over yet. So he's, he's made special mention of that, spoke that she must love much in, in, in conjunction with this. And when you look at the accounts of the same story in Matthew and in Mark, amen, we have Jesus recorded saying this. Look at it. We have Jesus recorded saying this concerning this woman that did the acknowledgement. 
He says, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, this also that she have done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. You know what he's saying? She acknowledged me sometime in the past when I was in a house and wasn't getting no acknowledgement. And because of that, everywhere you all go, she's going to be acknowledged. Woo! She, mm, we, we got, he says, I got this one anotherness mutually and reciprocally at the equivalent, the same amount. She is going to be acknowledged. So Jesus practiced this in his earthly ministry. With mankind, he practiced this in his earthly ministry ministry now look whenever you read the instance of in in the in the, the book of peter peter kind of calls it this and again again this kind of just helps me for next week and and I'm, I'm i'm coming to a close brother mason this this peter calls it a kiss of charity or a kiss of love and again just carry this this is going to be our our link for next week get it in your minds Again, because you're not going to love someone, you can't, or rather, more importantly, you won't. You won't. It's not so much that you can't acknowledge somebody, it's that we, we won't. Oh, potato, potato. No, potato. <gasps> Listen to me. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between can't and won't. Mm-hmm. Some we here's the reason why here's the reason why within the body concerning any of these commands that we'll go over, here's the reason why in the body we'll say we can't because if we can say we can't then we can say that we justifiably can excuse ourselves from the practice absolutely that's the reason why kids say they can't clean the room can't mow the lawn Nobody wants to own the fact that they just don't want to or they won't. But I want to justifiably excuse myself from the action by saying I can't. Uh-huh. No, we, 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 we won't. Now, 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 this sets this up. And Brother Mason, I am closing. I am closing. I am. So what this does set us up for next time is this. That our acknowledgement, and you go and stand with me, our acknowledgement of each other in a real, being present, tangible way paves the road for us to love one another. Because again, otherwise we won't love what we won't acknowledge, even within our literal bodies. And I just close with this very small illustration. Because I have read stories how people who have contracted leprosy in third world countries or whatever. Extremities, maybe fingers or toes, extremities of their body have become desensitized. They, they don't have no feeling. They have no feeling no feeling there because of the leprosy comes in and begins to kill those nerves and so on and so forth 
And that leprosy, that's majorly what leprosy does. They say, well, it's got all these sores and all that. All that is a result because pieces of the body become desensitized. It no longer has the ability to feel. So if they get a cut or bruise or some infection start there, they don't even know it because they don't feel it. And so all this bad stuff, the way they look, is really a result of not being able to feel anymore. They're desensitized in those areas at the extremities. And so I've read stories about that. Perhaps they will, they will have a hand, per se, that, that they have lost, lost feeling in. And unknowing, unknowingly to them, that hand could be over here on a hot stove and it's intensifying flesh is starting to melt and they wouldn't even know it. And since they don't know it, they don't do anything about it. Because they can't show love to that hand if they can't acknowledge that hand. They can't bear the burden of a gimpy leg if they can't acknowledge the leg. They can't be kindly affectionate. They, 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 you understand what I'm saying today? And so we, we spearhead this process in this series this morning of one another because all these other things that we'll talk about that's one another, they're not going to amount to anything if we can't acknowledge each other. We can't acknowledge each other in a real, tangible me physically there way. <gasps> Knowing that you're actually there. Me, Brother Pat, me and you could be in a crowd. I mean, crowd, man, we could be at a conference in a crowd, and I can see you across the way even. I can, you know, go like that. You can go like that. Boy, doesn't that just make you all warm and fuzzy all over? Not the least. What's a head nod? But if I come across the span of that sea of people, I say, hey, Brother Pat, how are you doing, man? It's good to see you here. Changes the dynamics of everything. Because he feels, and I feel, that we have truly acknowledged one another. We come in, though, sometimes, and that's all it comes to. But we need to acknowledge one another need to acknowledge one another so that we can love one another bear each other's burdens so we can exhort one another comfort one another and so on and so on today if we can bow our heads in this place this morning thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc Thank you and have a blessed day.